This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. We are taking time in 2023 to share stories of what God is doing at Christian Chapel. If you have some of those stories of your life, stories, stories of salvation, of healing, of God's deliverance, God's provision, will you please send those to us at praise at christianchapel.com. I, I know we've received a bunch, and I know there are a bunch more out there. Um, but what we, what we really feel God calling us to do is take time each week to thank him for what he's done, and also allow these stories to be testimonies to us that what God has done in the past, he can still do for us today. Uh, this morning's story comes from Dave and Patty Schatzman. Patty writes, early in our marriage, my husband Dave and I were told that we had no chance of having children on our own. Our doctor offered many expensive options that we could attempt, but made it clear there was no guarantee of a pregnancy. I was working as a labor and delivery nurse at the time, helping women deliver babies every day. While I was happy for them, it was also a brutal reminder of what we could not experience. After praying and discussing our situation, we decided to pursue adoption. We were active members at Christian Chapel, and I was volunteering on a regular basis with Crisis Pregnancy Outreach, so we had witnessed up close the beauty of adoption and were filled with hope. But even that process involved pain and waiting. We endured two failed adoptions before we were blessed with our daughter, Amanda. Ten months after Amanda was born and placed in our home, we found out that we were miraculously pregnant with our daughter Amy with no medical intervention at all. When people hear our story, they often say, oh, that always happens. You adopt, relax, and get pregnant. But our story is a medical miracle. We both endured testing and received diagnoses that without intervention, pregnancy was impossible. We never conceived again after Amy. She was God's miraculous gift. After Amy was born, God blessed us one more time with our son Cole, this time through foster care, then adoption. He just happens to be Amanda's half-sibling. 29 years ago, we were hurting and wondering if our dreams for a family would ever become a reality. God stepped in and created our family through three miracles, adoption, a miraculous pregnancy, and foster care. So I don't know what your story is. I don't know where you are. I know sometimes, yeah, absolutely. I am always aware on uh, baby dedication Sundays, especially that while that is sweet and we celebrate for some of us, it can, it can hit a pain point in our heart. So my prayer for you is, is if you find yourself in that season or situation or have a friend or family member who is, that you just hear Dave and Patty's story and know when God puts a desire in your heart, he'll bring it to fulfillment. And there are stories all over, I mean, even as I look around, there are stories all over the room of families that were built in all kinds of ways. And in each one, even through seasons of pain and loss and suffering, God was faithful and God provided. And so each week we're, we're reading these and then we're also taking time to thank God for them and pray and ask that he'll do it again. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you're in a spot this morning where you're saying, you know what, we, we want to start a family and we have not been able to. I know that's a personal and private thing, so I'd encourage you to just grab the hand of your spouse or whoever's next to you, and we just want to pray that, that God will be faithful to you as he was to Dave and Patty and as he has been to so many other families. So, Jesus, we come today, and we're, we're thankful for Dave and Patty's story. Lord, we're thankful that 29 years ago, in the midst of heartache and disappointment and just the, 
news that their life would not look like what they thought it would look like, that you still moved and intervened to give them the desires of their heart and to provide a family for them. And now, Lord, as we celebrate the family that you have built for them, we also look towards our needs today. Jesus, we, we want to stop and pray especially for couples in the room, couples online with us who are, are in that season of infertility, in that season of questioning and doubting, in that season of wondering what your plans might be. And Lord, in the midst of those, those questions and doubts, in the midst of their, their fears and their pain, we ask this morning, Lord, that what you did for Dave and Patty, you will do again. Lord, we believe that you have put the longing for a family in their heart, and we believe you have a purpose and a plan to fulfill that longing. And so, Jesus, we come today asking that you would release your miraculous gifts, and however you choose to create and build families through adoption, through miraculous pregnancies, through foster care, whatever it may be, Lord, we are willing to receive your answers, and we're seeking the direction of your Holy Spirit. So, Jesus, we pray, as you have done so many times, Will you do it again? Will you build families for your glory, for your honor? Will you bring comfort, hope, peace, and joy this morning that you have heard our cry and you are already acting to meet those needs? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, today we are continuing our message series through the book of Acts. We started last week. We're talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church, the three themes of Acts that we see on repeat over and over and over again. We're working through the book of Acts story by story instead of verse by verse uh, because I might die before we got through it verse by verse. So uh, this is our only hope of ever making it through is to go story by story. So last week we, we kicked off by talking just about those three themes, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. Today we're going to continue by talking about what it means to wait on the promise. So we'll be in Acts chapter 1 this morning and talking about waiting on the promises that God has for us. Now I know uh, waiting is probably not something that very many of us enjoy. I don't know uh, anybody that ever says, I can't wait to wait. Uh, maybe some of you are. If so, you probably need counseling because that's just, it's not, it's not normal, right? You don't plan your vacations around what is the busiest time to go to Disney World when we can stand in line for the maximum amount of time, right? You don't seek out the busiest point of a restaurant's day to go and just stand in line and, and wait to eat. You don't do any of that. Our lives are designed around convenience, around quickness, and if we can get something in five minutes, we would prefer to have it in three minutes. And, and for some of us, we're, we're wired in a way, we're waiting is even more difficult, and the, the idea of the fruit of the Spirit of, of patience seems more like a promise for someone else and not so much for us, right? Like, you, you just, if you don't yell at someone while you're waiting, you count it as a win during the day. And yet, what we see in the scriptures is oftentimes when God reveals his plan to us, there is a season or a period of waiting. Sometimes God will even make direct promises to us about things he's going to do and what he's going to accomplish, and in that, there is still a season of waiting. We don't always know why. We don't always know how long. Sometimes we get the benefit of, of looking back on our lives, and we can see, I understand now that God made me wait because I wasn't ready then for what he's asking me to do now. Other times we never understand, we never know, and, and yet what the scriptures show us is waiting is not punishment, but waiting is an opportunity to continue to grow in our relationship with God. 
And so as you, you jump into Acts chapter 1, the, the first thing that we, you discover in this waiting process is first that God has a plan for your life. So Acts chapter 1, 8, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he tells them that they'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on him and they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so there are two plans that God has for every person in the world. The first is that you will discover new life in Christ. He intends that every man, woman, teenager, and child comes to an understanding that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, comes to faith in Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, becomes the son or the daughter of God, finds their eternal security and identity in him, finds all of the wholeness that he came to give us. That is God's first plan for us. It's his first plan for everyone. Once you find yourself in that plan, then he reveals this second plan to you. And that second plan is what he lays out in Acts chapter 1-8. God's plan for your life is that you discover a life with Jesus, and then you give your life to telling others about the good news that you've discovered. This is what it means to be a witness. This command of Acts 1-8 was not just for the original disciples, but it is for every man, woman, teenager, and child who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. If you've ever doubted what God's plan for your life is, Jesus makes it clear. He says, here's what it is. You're going to be his witness. You're going to be his witness here, you're going to be his witness there, you're going to be his witness everywhere. Everything you do, everywhere you go, and every conversation you have, you are a witness. You are someone who tells about what you have seen, heard, and experienced with Jesus, and you invite others into that with you. And so as followers of Jesus, when we're trying to determine God's plans for our life of where we'll go to school or where we'll live or what job we'll work or how we'll spend our money, what relationships we'll enter into, whatever it might be, one of the easiest tests that you can use to apply is this God's will or not is does it fit with God's plan for me to be a witness? Because Jesus is never going to call you to do anything that is going to harm your ability to be a witness for him. He's never going to call you to pursue a job that's incompatible with being a witness for Christ. He's never going to call you to behave in a relationship in a way that's incompatible with being a witness for his restoration and his good news. And so if we just take that test and apply it, it, it delivers us from many temptations and steers us clear of many wrong choices. And so it's really good news. That the, the, the tough news about this plan, though, is this is a really hard job. Because what Jesus is saying is, listen, to the, the disciples, they've placed their faith in him, they've given their lives to him, they have witnessed his teaching, they've witnessed his death, his resurrection, they know everything that there is to know about him in a really personal and powerful way, and now Jesus says, I'm about to leave, and your job is to spend the rest of your life telling everyone about me. Be consistent in your actions, be consistent in your words, be consistent in your, in your uh, enduring persecution, be consistent when you're brought before people smarter, more powerful, more influential than you, be consistent when you're tested, be consistent through your trials, be a witness in every single situation, and as you begin to feel the weight of God's plan on your life, you begin to understand you can't do that on your own. I can't accomplish this. You can't accomplish this. Now, you, you're smart. You're hardworking. You've got some gifts. You've got some talents. You've got some abilities. But you will never live in the power of a, the witness God intends for you on your own. You're always going to fall short. Right? And, and that's okay. So if you're here this morning, you're like, I hear that plan, and I am failing massively at that plan. That's okay. 
Because when Jesus gives us a plan, he also promises power to us. If you back up to Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, you hear Jesus telling us this. He says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then again in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So the, the beautiful nature of the gospel is that when Jesus gives us a plan, he also promises power to fulfill that plan. He never intended for you to be a witness on your own. He never intended for you to win your friends, families, neighbors over to him on your own. And and yet, there's going to be this season of waiting on that promise. But as you're waiting, you have to remember it is a promise from Jesus. And what Jesus expects is that every person who places their faith in him will be a witness for him, but you will be a witness by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. You are not intended to do it on your own. This promise of power is a promise to every person who puts their faith in Jesus from then until now. It's, it's not, uh, it has nothing to do with salvation. The Holy Spirit has already worked to convict you of sin, to reveal Jesus as your Savior, to assure you of your salvation. And now Jesus says, now that you belong to me, before you step out into my plan to live as a witness everywhere you go and in everything you do, wait for the power. Wait for the promise. And so if this was true for the disciples who watched Jesus perform his miracles, if it was true for the ones who were in the boat when he calmed the storm, for the ones who saw him open the eyes of the blind, for the one who witnessed his his crucifixion and resurrection, how much more do you and I need to wait for that same power today to be witnesses for Jesus? And what Acts begins to teach us is that we always wait for God's promised power before we attempt God's plan. Jesus is not expecting you, and, and some of you, you're, you're overachievers, so you especially, just calm down, okay? Because you hear Acts 1-8, you're going to be my witnesses, and you're already making your list of, this is who I need to witness to tomorrow, and this is how I'm going to witness to them, and they're going to say this, and I'm going to say that, and you've thought through every scenario just in the, the five minutes since I mentioned that verse, right? And so to you especially, I would say, relax. Just wait for the power God has for you. To others of us, you hear Acts 1-8, and you think, I could never do that. I can't talk about anything without sticking my foot in my mouth. I just, I'm a walking, I'm a walking disaster. I just make everything worse. I make everything awkward. And so do you, I would say, just wait. Wait for the promise of power that God has for you. Jesus never intends you to accomplish his plans through your own effort. And if you attempt to do so, because waiting isn't always fun, right? Waiting is inconvenient. In waiting, the enemy comes and tempts us with distraction. He tempts us with disobedience. He tempts us with discouragement. He tempts us with anger, with bitterness, with questioning, with doubts, with all of these other things. Because the enemy knows if we wait for God's promise, we'll receive it. And when we receive it, we will walk in the path that God has for us. So he tries to distract us or sometimes tries to get us going on our own without the power that God has promised. Now, if if we refuse to wait, there are two things that will happen. One, refusing to wait makes us ineffective. So if you hear Acts 1-8 and decide that's what I'm going to do and I'm going to tackle that today and you will see how great I can be at it, you might experience a little bit of success sharing your faith. You might experience a little bit of success living a life of integrity. You will experience a little bit of success because God has gifted you. 
Because you are disciplined, because you are talented, because you maybe do have the ability to interact with others in a way that makes them feel comfortable, because you do have a lot of, a lot of just, just kind of internal motivation to do the right thing all the time, because you don't mind getting up early, and you, don't, you have a very disciplined life. All of these things can make you moderately effective as a witness for Jesus. And yet, Jesus' plan is not to have a church full of moderately effective Christians. His plan is to have supernaturally empowered men and women who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit into every situation, ready to be used in any way that God directs them. And so you can get a little bit done through your own efforts, or you can wait and accomplish all that God has for you to do. So if you refuse to wait, you'll be ineffective. The other risk is if you refuse to wait, you'll be inauthentic. And what we mean by this is is God's plan is to fill you with the power of his Holy Spirit to make you the best version of yourself living in the power of the Holy Spirit as possible. So God's plan is not for you to look at other men and women who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and say, well, what do they do? How do they talk? How do they worship? How do they teach? What models have they adopted? What books do they suggest? What songs do they listen to? God is not trying to create mimics. He wants you to have a personal and authentic experience of the Holy Spirit, which will lead you to become a personal and authentic witness of the gospel. And and think of the necessity of that. Because I'm sure many of us in the room, we have been in in an experience where someone was trying to share the gospel with us in an inauthentic way. Where where you could tell this is not who they are. They had adopted some language that didn't fit with the culture. They had adopted some this is how it has to be and this is what you have to do. They They were trying to mimic maybe some preacher or worship leader or other person. Well, they did it this way and they did it that way. And, and, and in that experience, there's nothing that's drawing you to the work of God, but instead that inauthentic ministry is repelling you away from them. When you walk in the authentic power of the Holy Spirit, it sets you apart, but in many ways others are drawn to that experience. And when you walk in the authentic power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to learn and understand that that my job is not to tell others, hey, you need to be like me. You need to do what I do. You need to learn to teach like I teach. You need to learn to worship like I worship. You need to learn to witness like I witness. No, no, no. When you walk in the authentic power of the Holy Spirit, what you learn is when someone comes and says, how can I do what you do? You tell them, you need to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, I, there's, there's nothing in me that you want except what you see is the Holy Spirit. You might think it's something I've developed. You might think it's something your mentor learned over time. It is the personal power of the Holy Spirit at work in them. And so we wait so that we can engage in authentic ministry for Jesus. Now that that waiting period, again, is, is not all that pleasant. The disciples, they're gathered on a hill outside Jerusalem when Jesus ascends into heaven. And he tells them, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift that my Father has promised. And then he goes up into heaven. And as they're standing there, they're not real sure what to do next. And there are two angels who show up and kind of lightly rebuke them of, why are you standing here staring into the sky? And so what do the disciples do? We see three things they do while they're waiting. The first thing they do is they walk while they wait. Acts 1 verse 12, it says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day's walk from the city. 
When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. There came a point where in their waiting, they had to do the thing that Jesus had told them to do. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. He told them they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them. He did not tell them when the Holy Spirit would arrive. He did not tell them how the Holy Spirit would arrive. He did not give them any detailed instructions on this is how you will all affirm to each other the Holy Spirit has arrived. All he told them was wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples, they could have stood on the hillside that day arguing and debating what he meant by wait, what he meant by the arrival of the Holy Spirit, what he meant by power. And if there was any temptation to do that, it was put away when the two angels show up and say, why are you standing here staring at the sky? Remember what he told you. And what they remembered was Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem. And so they did the the first thing that they knew of, well, we don't know what all of this means, but we know where Jerusalem is. So let's go back to Jerusalem. And so they walk back to Jerusalem. Now, Now, for you and I, when we are in a season of waiting on the promised power of the Holy Spirit, there is always something we can be doing. See, the the temptation of waiting is, I'm just going to sit here until God does it. And I'm not going to move. I don't want to miss it. I don't, but... But God has always pointed you in some kind of direction. And that direction almost always involves some kind of movement. It might be physically walking like the disciples. It might be moving your life in the direction of obedience. But here's what we learn from the disciples in Acts is that when we walk the path of obedience today, it puts us in the place to receive the fulfillment of the promise tomorrow. God's plan was to pour out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, but the disciples had to get themselves from the hill outside to Jerusalem to the place where God was going to pour out the Spirit. They didn't know it, they didn't understand it, but they had to walk in the right direction. And and you and I, we understand this. We understand that, that moving objects are always easier to redirect than stagnant objects. And so, so for me, if, if God's calling me in a direction, I'm just going to walk in that direction. And if he says, I'm going to pour my spirit out on you, I'm going to walk in that direction, whatever that might be. Now, the disciples, they also show us when you're waiting, you don't just walk, but you also pray. It says that they join together constantly in prayer. So they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They don't know exactly what it will look like. They don't know exactly when he will come, but they know this is the promise from Jesus. They know this is the direction of their life. They have walked as far as they know to walk back to Jerusalem. They've gathered together in the upper room, and they start to pray. When you're in seasons of waiting, again, sometimes the only prayer we pray is, God, will you keep your promise? God, will you do it? But we don't know everything the disciples are praying, but we know two things about their prayers. One They prayed together. In seasons of waiting, you need other believers to pray with you and to pray for you. And you need to pray with and for other believers. Personal prayers are powerful and effective. Prayer with other believers is even more powerful and more effective. We'll see this pattern all through Acts. There is a direct connection between the people of God spending time in prayer together and God pouring out the Holy Spirit on believers. Prayer and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit always go together. And so if we're waiting for the promise, we're going to become people of prayer. 
When we pray together, it brings a sense of unity. When we pray together, it brings encouragement. When we pray together, it creates environments for discernment. When we pray together, we are positioning ourselves with other believers who will help hold us accountable to wait until we receive, who will encourage us to not give up, to not try to do it on our own, to not become ineffective or inauthentic, but to wait for the promises of God. So if you're in that position of waiting, my question for you today is, who are you praying with? If you're saying, I haven't experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, well, what other believers have you asked to join you in those prayers? Where are you setting aside time, not just of, hey, when you think of it on your own, will you pray for me? But where are you meeting with other believers and saying, can we get together and can you and I pray that I will receive the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? You see, a lot of us, we treat waiting on the Holy Spirit kind of like, well, I'm just going to go about my life, and if God wants to give me an Apostle Paul, slap me off onto the floor one day, blind me with a light, I guess he'll do it. That is the uncommon model in Acts. The common model is God's people hear his promise, they start praying, and they receive the Spirit. And so they prayed together, but they didn't just pray together. It says they prayed constantly together. Now, that that Greek word that we translate constantly, it also has meanings of they prayed with determination. One scholar says, which I loved because it describes part of my personality, they prayed stubbornly. Just with stubbornness of just, Jesus told us this. So we're not going to stop praying until he does it. Well, how will you know when he does it? We don't know. But we're not going to stop until he does. And we're just going to stay here and we're going to plan ourselves and we're going to pray again and again and again. And think of the personalities of some of the disciples. You got Peter in there who's so impulsive. You have Matthew, the tax collector. You have Thomas who still maybe isn't real sure any of this actually happened. And yet all of them together, they're just looking at each other and saying, I'm not leaving and you're not leaving. We're staying here, and we're praying this until it happens. Well, what about this? Well, what about No, no, no. We're staying here, and we're praying this. Well, what, what about feeding the poor? And what about do, We're staying here, and we're praying this. What about going to Judea and Samaria? We're staying here, and we're praying this. When God promises the power of the Holy Spirit, he does not intend for that to be something that you spend your entire life wondering if it's for you. He intends for you to gather with a group of believers and pray with determination until you experience it. And you will experience it. We'll look at that next week on what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. So the disciples in their waiting, they're going to walk in obedience. They're going to pray together and with determination. And then the last thing we see is they're going to work while they wait. So I'm not, I'm not going to read through this whole passage, but in Acts 1, 15 through 26, you see the disciples, they're, they're in the upper room, they're in this season of waiting several days over a week where they're just praying together and seeking the Lord, and at some point, they discover some work that needs to be done. They realize, hey, Jesus selected 12 of us, now there's only 11. They, they begin to talk about Judas and his betrayal of Jesus, so, so their work first involved kind of a, a post-mortem on what went wrong. Of, hey, remember there were 12 and now we're 11 and how did that happen? And they, they told the story to themselves of how that happened. And then they, they, they feel in some way that God has called them to complete the 12 again. They need to choose someone to replace Judas in that position of leadership. And so they set out some requirements. 
Again, they're praying, they're together, and they understand, well, we need to choose someone who was a witness to everything Jesus did from the beginning, someone who's been there with us. They find two qualified candidates from among them. And then they say, okay, here are the two candidates. Which one would she pick, should we pick? It doesn't seem that they get any clear direction. So they come and they pray to the Lord. And then they cast lots and they select the one to whom the lot falls. And then as far as we know, they do their job. And then they get back together and they start praying again. When you're in a season of waiting, it's not an excuse for laziness. And it doesn't mean God doesn't have strategic things he wants to do in you or through you in that season of waiting. And the disciples had real serious work to do. They had to elect someone. They had to, they were, what they were doing without knowing it is they were laying the groundwork for what would be necessary as soon as the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. They're saying, hey, we need to complete our leadership structure, not knowing that in a matter of days they're going to grow from 120 to 3,000 people in a moment. And if you're going to do that, you better have some leadership in place. You better have some guys that are on the same page, some women who are ready to move forward together. And so under the guiding of the Holy Spirit, whom they're still awaiting, they receive direction and they receive guidance and they just work the things that God is calling them to do. So for you and I, when we're in seasons of waiting, we're waiting for that promised power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to walk in obedience We're going to pray with other believers, and we're going to pray with determination, believing that what God has promised, he will do. And then we're going to work on whatever it is God reveals to us in that season of waiting. And we're never going to use our waiting as an excuse for disobedience, as an excuse for discouragement, or as an excuse for any type of laziness. Waiting is never a season to just sit there and cry. It's a season to listen, to learn, and to keep moving forward even while you wait. What we'll see throughout the book of Acts is that God's promises and God's plan always work on God's timeline. And and if we had time, we could tell our own stories of how this works this morning in many areas. And this morning, we're thinking specifically of how God pours out the power of the Holy Spirit on us. What we'll see in Acts is the, the, the first 120 that received the Spirit, they have this extended period of waiting. There are other periods in Acts where it seems as if the gospel comes and people f- place their faith in Jesus, and then sometime later down the road, some of the apostles come and share with them about the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there are other times where almost simultaneously people are placing their faith in Jesus Christ and they're receiving this promised power of the Holy Spirit. And really what we're learning in Acts is just that God's promises and plans work on his timeline. And the way he does it for me might be different than the way that he does it for you. And the way that he does it for you does not become the only way he can ever do it for anyone else. All we know for sure is God makes promises and God keeps promises. And it's our job to remain faithful in the season of waiting, longing for him to pour out his power, to pour out his spirit on us in ways that bring the fullness of his plan in our life. And so what we learned from the the disciples in Acts is that we can wait with expectation. I don't know what you're waiting for this morning. I don't know what plan God has revealed that you have yet to experience. Maybe it is the outpouring of his spirit on your life and you're still longing and waiting for that. Maybe it's promises that you will get that job. You will embrace that family. You will have that relationship. That need will be met. You will be healed. You will be delivered. That family member will return to the Lord. I don't know what you're waiting on, but my encouragement to you today is wait with expectation. 
Wait with the understanding that if God promised it, he will do it. Wait with the belief, if, God, if you know God has called you to things that are far bigger and far out of your ability to attain this morning, then just wait for him to give the power of the Holy Spirit you need to walk that path he's laying out for you. Don't let your waiting become a source of discouragement. Don't let your waiting become somehow a, a lie that the enemy tells you. This is proof that God isn't with you. It's proof that God isn't for you. It's proof that he really wouldn't do something this good for someone like you. As you read through the scriptures, all of God's people wait. Time and time again of different lengths, different seasons, but all of us wait. Oftentimes what we're waiting is, I mean, I know looking back on my life, there are things I'm experiencing now at 41 that I thought would happen at 29. And I was just having a conversation with Pastor Mike the other day and telling him, thank God none of that happened at 29. Because I couldn't, I can barely handle it now. I know I couldn't have handled it then. I I just couldn't do it. I did not have the character necessary for what God is doing in my life right now. Right? And, and I, now, if you told 29-year-old me, I would have been like, actually, I do. And uh, you just don't know me very well. But now I know. I know. And, and, and I also know there are dreams that God has put in my heart that I thought I would have seen by now. There are promises that God has made that I thought would have been fulfilled. And yet I can just trust for some reason in his sovereignty, there's another day where those will be delivered. And the day they're delivered is the best day for me. And it's the best day for you. It, the dreams you have, the promises that God has made, your job is not to make them happen. Your job is just to be faithful until the day he says, here you go. And, and you know, I mean, if we had time, we could go around the room and you could tell story after story after story of this was the plan and then I was waiting and I was longing and I was hurting and I was crying and I was praying and then one day, I received the answer. And when you begin to experience that, and for some of us, we've walked with Jesus long enough now that we know it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. God's going to fulfill his promises. He's going to pour out the power of his Holy Spirit. Right? And, and we look around us and we think of friends, we think of family, we think of loved ones who are far from Jesus and we're longing for them to be drawn in and we're choosing to believe it's not if, it's when. They will be brought home. They will have their own Pentecost experience. Their lives will be transformed. And we begin to wait with that sense of expectation. It transforms our waiting into a season where we draw close to the Lord, where we draw close to other believers, where instead of discouragement, waiting becomes a season of encouragement and anticipation. Waiting becomes an opportunity to understand there is still work for me to do here to be prepared for what God wants to do there. So I'm going to lock in. I'm going to be fully engaged. I'm going to walk in obedience. I'm going to pray with perseverance. I'm going to work everything that he puts in front of me, and I'm going to wait with expectation. And the the last thing I want to remind you of is when you're waiting, it's not just for you. But you're waiting for the benefit of others. The disciples, you and I are here today because they were obedient to wait in Jerusalem. The rest of the story of Acts that we're going to spend months working our way through is written because they waited in Jerusalem. They didn't try to start out in their own power or their own effort. 
They waited. They didn't try to just mimic the things that Jesus had done before them. They waited. And because they waited, they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And because they received the power of the Holy Spirit, that gift has now been poured out on all flesh. It's been made available to our sons and our daughters, to our mothers and fathers, to our grandmas and to our grandpas. And from that day to this day, the story of the church is men and women place their faith in Jesus Christ. They receive the power of the Holy Spirit and they live as witnesses for him in everything they do and everywhere they go. And so your waiting is not just about you. There are future generations that are depending on you to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Your future grandkids, great-grandkids, and great-great-grandkids, they don't need a story of grandpa's discipline and hard work. They need a story of grandpa's spirit-empowered life. They don't need to know about grandma who was righteous and disciplined in her own. They need to know about grandma who had a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and heard his voice and did what he said. Your coworkers don't need the best version of you that you can be. They need the version that walks into the office every day under the power of the Holy Spirit, ready to see what he sees, ready to say what he says, ready to hear everything he has in that environment. Others are depending on you to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you do, you will receive it. And when you receive it, you will be a witness. And when you witness by the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel takes root in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And your life has an impact greater than anything you could have ever imagined. It will reach farther. It will go to places that you will never know, people that you will never meet. Because that's what happens when God's people witness by the power of his Holy Spirit. So if you've experienced that, your job is to head out of here and put it to work. If you haven't experienced that gift of the Holy Spirit, your job is to wait until you receive the power that Jesus has promised. Your job is to ask other believers, hey, will you start to pray with me? Will you pray for me? Can, I, can we be stubborn and determined until I receive this gift that God has for me? And when you receive it, you'll know it. And when you know it, you can't help but share it. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for us. The band's going to come back and lead us in a final song this morning. Jesus, we come to you today. Lord, we're thankful that the story of Acts is our story. It's a story of men and women being drawn to Jesus, a story of men and women surrendering to the promise of power through the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we pray if there is anyone in the room or online with us that has not placed their faith in you, today will you begin to accomplish that gift in their life? Will you convict them of sin? Will you reveal yourself as their Savior? Will you help them, Lord, to confess and repent and receive the new life that you've offered? Lord, I pray if there is anyone with us who has not yet received that promise of power from the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray today that you would release that gift you have promised among us. Will you pour out your spirit in real and personal ways? Will you clothe us in power? Will you baptize us in the Holy Spirit? Will you immerse us in your presence today? Jesus, we come recognizing that on our own we are ill-equipped and ineffective to do what you've called us to do. But we believe your plan 
is accompanied by a promise. So Holy Spirit, will you come as the promise of the Father and as the gift of the Son? Will you come and fill our hearts and minds with a supernatural experience of your presence? Will you come and assure us that we have received everything we need to accomplish and to chase after the plans that Jesus is laying out before us? Holy Spirit, you are welcome in our lives. You are welcome in this room. You are welcome at Christian Chapel. You are welcome to move in supernatural ways. You are welcome to move in powerful and personal ways. We recognize, Lord, that that your callings are too big for us to accomplish. So Holy Spirit, will you come today? Will you pour your power out on us in real and personal ways? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.